And we're looking at Romans 8 from verse 18 to 25. This says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Well, good afternoon and welcome. I'm Jeremy. I'm one of the leaders here. And um, thank you for joining us online or for being with us here in the building and making the effort to gather together as a church. It's always an encouragement to get together and to hear from God's Word. A couple of thank yous. Um, a few of our members here have doubled up today. So, I mean, Cam's done sound in the morning and the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit, I'm enjoying this. There's a bit of hype, yeah. But also... CJ, CJ and George came and did kids ministry this morning, which was amazing. And, um, and our kids loved it. And it's, it's so good to have older Christian brothers and sisters to lead the next generation in understanding the gospel. I, I actually grew up in the church. I wasn't always a Christian. And I remember in my family, my mum was looking after a, a single mum who was going through a tough time. And she had a kid who became a Christian, and I, I thought he was, so, like in the 90s, he had like a bum part undercut and an earring, which is like today's, if you don't think that's cool, or maybe it's, it's come full circle, it's back in anyway, but if you, if you think like that's outdated or whatever, just think that's what tattoos are going to be in 20 years' time. So anyway, just, just keep that in mind. But um, at that time, seeing like an older, an older guy who I related to, actually spent the time with our family to hang out with us and actually share the gospel was massive for me as a kid. And not only that, but just earlier this year, I was at a course, a leadership course, where I saw him again 20 years later. He's out ministering in the country, leading a church out there, still kicking on for Jesus. And it's an encouragement for kids to see that it's not just their parents who are into Jesus or something like that, but there are generations above them who love Jesus and follow him. So thank you for taking the time to do that. It's a massive deal, and it's great to be a part of. Uh, the other thing is just to double up on what Jacob was saying. Next weekend, yes, there's no Sunday gatherings. But we're not doing nothing. Church isn't cancelled. We want you to go and meet with God because we believe over this next season, it's going to be more crucial than ever that you're able to walk out your own faith and to know your heavenly creator and to walk closely with your heavenly father. And so we'd love you to make the most of it. And wouldn't it, like we, we are aiming at 100% of our church membership doing it. And so we're going to be aiming everything at that. We're putting all effort into it. We said, we, look, take how much effort goes into a Sunday gathering. We're going to put that much into trying to see people to go and meet with God alone for an hour. So anything we can do to help, we want to do that because we want to see everyone doing it. And wouldn't it be a massive encouragement the week after in the groups to come back and to be sharing from all different perspectives and walks of life how God has been speaking into your life and what he did over that long weekend, and for that to tee us up for a good fourth quarter to the year. So we'd love to see you amongst that. 
But today we are getting into the final part of our nine-week series, teaching about really what is central to the gospel message of the Bible, the, the truth, the teaching about glorification. This is the teaching that God, who saves, will finally bring you into a point where you are completely transformed to where you glorify God exactly how you were designed to. That you will one day be made perfect. That the work that He has begun in you through salvation, that we looked at last week through sanctification, God will bring to completion one day in the final new creation. And I think it's a compelling part of the gospel because I think it speaks to so much of what we understand of life. I think one of the confusing things about life is that it can be at some points so good and at others so awful. On Friday, and this is a good one just to tee you up, but on Friday, I had a small part of a small dream come true, which was for my son to say to me, let's go to the park and kick the ball, Dad. And that's partly because I want to go, I want to live out all my unfulfilled soccer dreams through him. But also because I, now, like, we're getting to the age where my kids' downtime and my downtime are kind of, they're crossing over. So if we can just get there with skateboarding as well, it'd be, it'd be, everything has come together. But anyway, it was, it was just one bit at a time. But we went, to, we went to Callum Park, which, if you know the area, is just down the road. And it's, it's an incredible spot. So it's really lush and green. It was kind of towards sunset. So the sun's kind of setting. There's these huge fig trees surrounding the area. It's warm. There's a wind blowing. It's beautiful. He's, he's copying all my little, like, you know, when you're teeing up for the kick, he's copying all my little eccentricities and things like that. And we're just having a great father-son afternoon. And at that point, I remember just thinking, I could do this forever. If this, if this moment could just continue on, for, I could keep doing this for sure. There are some times where life is that good where you feel like, man, this is good enough. It could go on forever. But then there are other times that you've probably experienced this year where instead of feeling like it could go on forever, you kind of feel like, I'm not sure how much more I could take. I need to get out of here. Whether it's what you've experienced personally or what you've witnessed in terms of just the sheer injustice of things that are going on, the tragedy, the heartache, the pain, sometimes it's so searing and so intense that we think, how could this go on any longer? And one of the things that makes the gospel so compelling for me is that the Bible story speaks to both of these realities, of why it is that the world can be so exquisitely good at times and at other times so painful and awful. Because the Bible speaks to the reality of sin and how much it has ruined God's good design and His creation, but also of how good a creator we worship and the kind of new creation that He is planning to bring about. And so what we're going to see in the doctrine of glorification is that for those who believe in Christ, you will one day glorify God perfectly exactly as you were designed to. That you will experience the sheer joy of your creator for all eternity uninterrupted and where we're going today is this at first i'm going to explain that god is coming back in his glory that we will be redeemed for his glory and then finally all of creation will be redeemed for god's glory god is coming back in his glory we will be redeemed for his glory and all of creation will be redeemed for his glory And I'm going to pray that as we open this word and as we apply it, that God would be working powerfully through His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we so often don't give you and how you speak to us through your word fit attention. 
we half listen, we're distracted, our minds move to even trivial matters. Father, we just pray that you would help us to be still, to push out other thoughts, and to hear from you in your word. That you might move us to a deep and abiding hope. That your spirit might anchor our soul in you. And that we might trust in you and know the joy of the gospel as we await the day when you will make all things new, even as you have begun to do now. We pray all of these things for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, the claim at the very end of the Bible is that God will come back. The claim, the other outrageous claim of the Bible, is that God has already come. That in the person of Jesus, who was fully God, God walked among us. But it's also the case that he did not fully reveal his glory. It was possible to meet Jesus and treat him as though he was just another teacher or even worse, as people did. But there is one point in the Gospels, if you're familiar with the Gospel story, there is one point where Jesus gives his disciples a glimpse of who he really is. He takes three of his disciples out of the twelve, the closest three, Peter, James and John, and he takes them up to a mountain and he reveals who he is and what he is like. And he shines so brightly, is the way that they try to explain it because they're lost for words. And they're so overwhelmed by the gravity of his being that they become, it says in the Gospels, sleepy. They start to lose consciousness. To stand before a holy God as he reveals who he really is, it almost causes them to pass out. But after that, they don't see really him revealed like that again, though he tells them that one day he will be. But in Revelation 21... Look at what it says about when God returns to the creation that he has made. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. This is a vision of what it will be like when God returns to the creation that he has made. When he comes back to his people and to his creation to restore it permanently. Often our imaginations let us down when it comes to heaven. One author has put it this way. He says, nearly every Christian I have spoken to has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. Hopefully you're enjoying it so far, but I don't imagine anyone in this room is hoping that this is what it will be like you know, just ad infinitum. But most of us, because we lack imagination, maybe Netflix has killed our minds off, the best we can think of when we think of heaven, because we think it's got to be really godly, it's got to be really holy, what's the kind of most godly thing? I guess when all the Christians get together and whatever for a church service, so maybe just that, but to the power of infinity. But he says, we have settled on an image of a never-ending sing-along in the sky, one great hymn, one after the another, forever and ever, Amen. In fact, if I were to challenge you to write down, to get an A4 piece of paper and write down everything you could imagine 
about the new creation, when God comes back, could you fill an entire page? A paragraph? A couple of sentences? Imagine the impact this is having on our lives. The fact that we can't imagine in any significant measure what it will be like when God finally restores all of his creation. Because remember, this is the end of the story. It's the main bit. It's where it's all heading. If we have no significant thoughts about that, it must be having a huge impact on our life as followers of Christ. See, here is a clear vision of what it will be like. He says the main glory of heaven is that God himself will be there, revealed fully in his glory, no longer separated from his people, no longer invisible, but there, face to face. You'll be with your maker. And it will be a thrill to stand before a holy, immortal God as people who know that we have sinned, to be able to stand there and know that our record has been wiped clean so that we are able to be in the presence of a holy God without being destroyed. In fact, more than that, to be welcomed in as his family. It's a mix of adrenaline and wonder. I've described it like this before. It's a bit like if you've ever stood on a glass platform several stories up, the moment you step onto that platform, there's a surge of adrenaline that courses through you because you feel like as you look down, the weight, the gravity of my weight should be pulling me towards death and yet I'm very much alive. And on this last day, to stand in the presence of a holy God will be that same feeling. I should be dead and yet I'm alive, more alive than ever. This is what it will be like and not only that, but God will be there to wipe away every tear and death will be no more and there will be no mourning, no crying, no pain, no sickness, no pandemics, none of it. It's all done. It will be finished. God is coming back. But because God is a holy God and he cannot be in the presence of sin, that means that wherever God is has to be purified so that he can be there. And so because of that, his people have to be transformed. And not only that, but his creation has to be transformed so that God can safely dwell with his people. And so in order to come back, the earth must be renewed and made new. Both his people and his creation must be completely new. Because when we fell, when humanity fell, creation was ruined with us. If you remember back to the beginning of the story of the Bible, if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, someone here who follows Jesus, the connection goes back to Genesis 2-7. We are told that humanity was created out of dust. That is, we are intimately forever connected with the creation. And not just in the sense that we are dependent on it. Of course, there's much talk at the moment about climate change and how our fate and the fate of the planet are intertwined. But in the Bible, it goes even deeper than that. Our relationship to the creation is not just that we're dependent on it for food, but actually we are ontologically connected. There is an order that God created, himself ruling over humanity, ruling over creation. And when we ruptured that relationship, creation suffered as well. Creation was broken too. Look at how Romans 8, the passage that we had a look at just before, explains it. In Romans 8, 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here the Bible is saying because humankind rebelled against God, God subjected creation to futility. That is, he made it broken as a visible demonstration that things in the universe were not right. And so entered pain and difficulty, decay and death, our bodies that wear away, our planet that has natural disasters and disease and destruction. All of that entered in because of sin. Life became difficult. And Paul here is saying that creation is is like a woman who's about to give birth, who is waiting for this new life to come about, is waiting for God's people to be made completely new so that it can be restored as well. And when will that be? Well, Paul says, when our bodies are redeemed, when we are made whole again. To sum it up, look at, look at it in this way. I've put it together. I don't often put a table together, but here's one to summarize it as, as easily as possible. But this is the Bible's teaching on where we're at. When God created humankind initially, we were able to sin and able to glorify God. After the fall, we were able to sin, but not able to glorify God. In redemption, we were again able to sin and able to glorify God. But in glorification, in the new creation, we will not be able to sin. We will only glorify God as we were made to. That's the day that's coming. We will be made fully new, when our bodies will be fully restored, and we will live in the new creation forever, full of His joy and goodness only. We will have new bodies, and we will be entirely new. The struggle with sin will be over. We will have glorified hearts. That means if you have ever, in, in opening God's word, ever had a glimpse of just the goodness and greatness of God that for a moment you wished you could capture for all of time, that will be your present experience. If you've ever done something right for the right reason, oftentimes when we do, we, we later then you know, reflect on it with sort of pride and end up ruining the moment anyway. But if you've ever done anything that was genuinely for the love of others, a genuinely good and right act, something true, something just, something fair, something honest, something loving, that experience will be your common experience for all eternity. We will be changed and transformed and made new. And when God returns, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We will not be transported to some other planet. God does not have a grand escape plan. He's not going to hit flush on his creation and then just say, let's just never talk about that disaster again. God will redeem his creation, which means the new heavens and the new earth will be physical. God will not reject it. He will redeem it. It says in Revelation 21, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. It's not that we'll be transported to some dispirited sort of existence, but that God will come to his people and inhabit our space with us. In Romans 8.23, it says our bodies will be redeemed. At the end of the book of Corinthians, there's a lengthy passage on how it is that God will restore our bodies for the new creation. Not only that, but Jesus modeled it. 
When Jesus rises from the dead in the Gospels, he doesn't rise, it's not that Jesus rose in our heart or that we kind of think of it as like a symbol, of, a symbol for like triumphing, you know, good triumphing over evil or something like that. No, Jesus physically rose from the dead. He had a body and therefore still does. Think about that. But also consider the fact that while his body was familiar, there was something different about it. He bore the scars that he got on the cross, so it was recognizable. But when he met with his disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, they didn't initially recognize him. There was something different. There are other times in the Gospels when everyone's in a locked room and Jesus just shows up, and then at other times where he just disappears. There was something different about it. It is the same and yet different. This is what it will be to have these transformed, glorified bodies. But it's also the case that there will be no more breakdown between our mind, soul, heart and body. That's part of a sin-ruined creation. If you, have, if you have ever played a piece of music perfectly, the feeling is that you are just in sync with creation for just a moment. That will be your common experience. If you've ever written or captured a thought in art or in some other form, that will be your experience. Your mind and your body will correspond perfectly. If in sport you've ever struck a perfect shot or you were kind of in the zone or in flow, that will be it for all eternity. But even as I say that, I anticipate that some of us here will be saying, ah, that does sound kind of boring. You go and play a round of golf, you get a hole in one every shot. Oh, whatever. I mean, golf might be your vision of the other place rather than heaven anyway. But isn't, doesn't that sound kind of uninteresting or boring, repetitive? Isn't part of the good thing about life that there's a challenge and then you overcome it and that sort of thing? But here's what we're missing. In the new creation, you will see things with new eyes and a new heart and you will never grow bored of what you witness because boredom is a symptom of sin. The reason we get bored of things is because sin intrudes and interrupts. It takes our attention off what God has really made. It often causes us to make things about ourselves. Instead of writing a piece of music for the sheer joy of it, we write it because we want a reputation or people to think of us a certain way. Sin enters in and pride ruins the thing that we're meant to be enjoying. But more than that, we will be in perpetual infancy in the best way. Let me explain it this way. Children are the smallest glimpse we have of how to enjoy God's creation infinitely. This morning... One way to describe it would be that my five-year-old daughter had a piece of rubbish that she wouldn't stop playing with for 20 minutes. But if you could get into her mind and experience it, it would have been more like this. She stood in a column of light. The sun was kind of just waking up and, and breaking through the back window. And she stood in a column of light with a piece of, of jade foil about the length of her body. And as she spun it around and it twisted around her body, the light from the sun was refracting off it. And that was enough for her to enjoy for a full 20 minutes. Kids understand God's creation better than we do. G.K. Chesterton said it well when he says it this way. He says, Because children have unbounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. Any parent here or anyone who has nieces on it, you can testify to this. 
For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Consider that. Sin has made us old and bored and boring. But in the new creation, when we are made new, we will never miss the miracle. Never. We will have new eyes. Our hearts will be made complete. We won't be self-focused We will see creation as it was meant to be seen, as a miracle of a creator God who is infinite in his wisdom and creativity. And even now, when creation is still broken by sin, it's still breathtaking, isn't it? Consider the wonder of a thousand-year-old tree, or a surging sea, or even the everyday miracle of rain. The kilotons of water suspended overhead that break in tiny droplets. We will see things as they are, as a direct expression of the glory of God, and we'll praise Him for it because He will be there with us in the new creation. God will transform our bodies and our minds so that we will be perfect. Your body will be different. Everything you don't like or you fear about your body will be gone, partly because your body will be changed, but partly because the way you think about it will also be changed. We will be new. And once we are made new, Romans says, then creation can be made new. Like creation is there waiting for humanity to finally be changed. So it's like, yes, now I can actually change. Look what it says in Romans 8. It says, for for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself might be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Just as when humankind fell, so creation was ruined, so also when we are made new, all creation will be made new as well. One author says, Whatever sin has touched and polluted, God will redeem and cleanse. If redemption does not go as far as the curse of sin, then God has failed. Whatever the extent of the consequences of sin, must also the extent, the extent of redemption be. God will redeem his creation. The new heavens and the new earth will be physical, not merely spiritual. And that's clear from Scripture. And what that means also is just like Jesus' body was the, the first fruits of the resurrection, and it was familiar and yet different, so this world will be familiar and yet different. There will be things that have been made that God will include in his new creation that he will redeem for his glory. Just contemplate that. One author in writing on the realities of heaven, every now and then to awaken his imagination, will just look around and think, I wonder if God will redeem that. That song, that piece of art, that dog, not that cat. It's not going to be cats. (coughs) There is a lion. But there will be continuity. It's, It's what one theologian says is, the new creation will not be a repristinization. That is, it won't be a reset. It won't be that he's like, okay, let's go back to ground zero. Like in all those movies, after there's been an atomic explosion, 
something inexplicable, and then humanity goes back to ground zero. No more technology. Everything's kind of reset. We go back to the Garden of Eden. That is not what's to happen. The message of the gospel is from the garden to a city. The original plan was for Eden to cover the entire earth, and on that final day, it will be done. God will have his people in his place, under his rule, in joy forever. It will be familiar and yet different. So what does this mean for us? Well, firstly, if you are, if you are unconvinced about this, I urge you to look into it for yourself. As one philosopher has said, can, you, know, you, you might think, look, the idea of the afterlife is a bit, it's a bit silly or a bit ridiculous. or it's, 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 it's something that would be nice if it was true, but really there's no grounding for it. Look, one philosopher says, what, what is more extraordinary? That something that did not exist should suddenly exist? Or something that already exists should exist again in another form. Scientifically, the second one is less extraordinary than the first. The fact that we came into existence at all is a far greater miracle than that we should exist again in another form. And if it's true, which I believe it is, it's absolutely life-changing. If you're skeptical about these claims, I urge you to look into it for yourself. We would love to help you with that. If you're tuning in online or just here and have questions, Please, we would love to help you. There is no more important thing than to know whether or not this is true. And if you are someone who has staked your life on the claims of the gospel, it should impact your life. The first one is this. It should give you an appetite for holiness. To know that one day you will finally be perfect and that God has given you His Holy Spirit now in order to bring that reality forward into the present is what you have right now. It's like the Spirit is there to download the new creation piece by piece into your heart ahead of time. It should move us, shouldn't it? Think of it like this as an illustration. If, if a child was struggling to learn the violin and someone came to them and said, I know for a fact, I've been to the future and back, don't ask any questions about it, just I'm here, I know, you are going to become the greatest violinist of all time. How would that impact the way that that child struggles to learn the violin? Surely it would move them to do it, right? Surely it would get them, it would get them moving, knowing that it was not in vain that they were practicing, but that one day they would be a virtuoso. In the same way, you'll be made perfect. The, the, the encouragement of the gospel to fight against sin is to say that sin will one day be behind you. So as much as you can, bring that reality forward now. That is how God is at work in you. And as he works through his church, he is changing and bringing into reality the kingdom of God now in anticipation of a time when it will be fully complete. It should awaken in his people a desire for holiness and to know that holiness is happiness. That's the first implication. And the second one is this. We're called not to try and make heaven on earth now. The new creation is coming, but it's not yet. It is the case that really now we are not home. And we can't make it our home. There is a day when our bodies will be redeemed, and that time is not now. Surgical enhancement is a way to try and perpetually put off aging, and that doesn't work. It is a longing that could only be fulfilled in the gospel. God alone can make our bodies new and to shine with the glory that He has designed them for. We cannot pretend that right now we could live forever. 
But more than that, we cannot get duped into thinking that here is good enough. As much as people rag on Sydney, it is, it is, a, beautiful, it is a uniquely beautiful city the world over. I, I, I haven't actually, actually travelled much, but I'm told by people who have been to Europe or other parts of the world that often when they get to, to beaches that are meant to be considered like world-class, yeah, see, some people are already laughing. You know where I'm going. It can be a little underwhelming. And part of that is because the standard for, for beaches and beauty in, in our country is, is just, it's up here. The natural beauty of this city, let alone this country, is actually pretty extraordinary. And so the temptation can be, with all the difficulties that come with city life, is that actually we live in a pretty beautiful, relatively safe part of the world. It's heaven enough. But the truth is it's not. And we can put off thinking about death, but that will not put off the reality of it. God has made a way to live forever. Whatever you've enjoyed now, the joy of that will continue forever. And we are called to live for the world to come and to see as many sons and daughters of God be there on that last day as possible. I urge you over the next week, as it comes up to the long weekend, to take that time seriously. As I've floated the idea, like with our group, everyone's excited about the idea of spending an hour with God, but sometimes it can be like exercise, where it's like the, the idea of it is quite exciting, but then the reality of getting to it is like, ah, oh, it's a bit of an effort. But we want to do everything we can to overcome any of those barriers because this is the reality that we're often missing day to day. We live, we've even been through, I mean, is there ever been a year where God has tried to get the world's attention? If there was, it's this year that everyone at the same time is profoundly aware of our humanity, of our brokenness, and our vulnerability. And if this is not a time to contemplate what is God teaching you this year, I don't know when is. And if a pandemic doesn't get your attention, I don't know what could. I urge you next weekend, get alone with God, your maker, your creator. Hear from him, pray to him, and see what it is that he is teaching you. That we might be a church that's strong through the next season, strong in encouraging one another, but a strong witness in holding out the gospel to a world that needs one and only cure, that is the gospel. I'm going to pray. Father God, we praise you that you love us enough to send Jesus to die in our place on our behalf. We praise you that the work that you have begun in us, you will bring to completion. That you save that you sustain and you will complete. And Father, until then, may we know a deeper and deeper joy in you. As we gather next weekend alone, may there be a solidarity in Christ. May there be a unity in his blood and in your spirit, knowing that there is one God who saves and one God whom we worship. And Father, we pray that you would be transforming us by your Holy Spirit that you'd be breaking into parts of our lives that we've kept hidden for a long time, transforming us and teaching us the joy that only you know. And Father, we pray that you'd awaken in us a deep hope and a deep expectation of the reality that is to come in the new creation. Father, we pray all of these things for the glory of your name. Amen.